Father, we ask that as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts and minds and that you would make us attentive to your voice and that you would address us and change us and mold and shape us to be a faithful people in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I don't know if this is unique to me, but I have a feature on my iPad that uh, it's the case now, whenever I open up my homepage, that there's like a new image that pops up from my, my photos on my computer. Anybody else have that experience? And so what that basically means is that I'll be sitting in a staff meeting and then all of a sudden I'll look up and there's Mia at 10 on a swing or the girls playing in the bosky when they were just so little and cute or Audrey giving, is that Eve? A little kiss? I can't even recognize my children anymore. Uh, or my kids, and this is, almost creates the biggest ache in me, my kids playing in Seal Beach and boogie boarding which is just so, you know, awesome. And so it's no wonder that sometimes in a staff meeting, they'll look over at me and I'll be over in the corner crying. (laughs) But you know, there's an interesting tension, I think, that happens for parents. And I think you parents out there can relate to this. On the one hand, there is an ache to see your kids grow up. You know, you grieve those earlier years. You remember what it was like. I can still remember when uh, my wife and I would be out for a walk in Seal Beach with our kids when they were just lit uh, like on the Seal Beach Pier and there were these older couples that would walk by and they would say, cherish those years. Those were the best years of our life, you know? And I'm like, what happens later in life, you know? But... But you know, um, there is a tension though because on the one hand, you grieve and you ache over years that have gone by. But on the other hand, there is nothing that you want more for your kids than for them to grow up and become healthy, self-sufficient, functioning human beings, right? I mean, that's the whole point of it. And of course, what's true for the family and the home is also true for the church, You know, our desire as a church is not simply to remain in one spiritual state, maybe as spiritual newborns and infants, but to see us grow into full maturity as followers of Jesus. You know, apprenticeship to Jesus is a journey. It's a journey of becoming. It's a journey from immaturity to maturity, from wounding to healing, from a false self to a true self, And this is how the great spiritual writers have always described the Christian life. It's always been described as this ongoing journey of becoming. And so, for example, Martin Luther, uh, the great Protestant reformer, put it like this. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. But do you hear the language? It's not being, but becoming. It's not health, but healing. Uh, It is not rest, but exercise. Do you see what it's describing there? It's making a statement about the very nature of the Christian life. 
And I think that this can sometimes be lost in our evangelical churches where oftentimes the emphasis is on entering in, it's on conversion, it's on making a decision. But what can be lost sometimes is deeper growth and maturity in Christ. And in the text that we're looking at today, John addresses this issue of spiritual growth and maturity in the family of God. It's interesting, you know, throughout uh, John, uh, he has been speaking in very stark categories. You know, for John, you are either in the light or in the dark. It's either love or hate. It's either practicing sin or practicing righteousness. And it might be easy to get the impression of like, man, if this is what a Christian is, you're either this or you're that, then I don't know whether or not I'm a true and authentic Christian, you know? But John doesn't want us to get the wrong idea. And so he takes a break in his argument and he pauses to talk to us about the stages of spiritual growth and development. Again, to communicate to us that the spiritual life is a journey that takes place in stages. And he draws upon the metaphor of children and of young adults and of, and of parents, you know, these very natural stages in human life to talk about natural stages in spiritual development. John Stott, uh, one commentator on the book of John, put, 1 John, put it like this. The three groups represent three stages of spiritual pilgrimage. I love that language of spiritual pilgrimage. This is the Christian life. The dear children are those newborn in Christ. The young men are more developed Christians, strong and victorious in spiritual warfare, while the fathers possess the depth and stability of ripe Christian experience. And so again, he's speaking here about growth and development from one stage to the next. And so the question I want to invite you to reflect on as we kind of journey in our text today is, what stage in the spiritual development are you at? Where are you? You know, it's important to recognize and to check your own spiritual growth and your spiritual progress. And it's important to recognize, like, are there some dangers in the spiritual stage that I'm in? Are there some unique opportunities? And how can I keep growing from one place and move into the next place? And so we're going to walk through each one of the three stages that John lays out here. And then we're going to pause and just kind of think about how they apply to our own lives. And so notice he begins uh, the different stages with the beginning stage, which could be called spiritual childhood. Uh, this is being a baby Christian. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then in 13, verse, or verse 13b, it says, I write to you children because you know the Father. And so here he is speaking about spiritual childhood. And what does it mean to be a spiritual child? Well, you know, um, a, a newborn Christian has everything new. You know, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And in this stage of your spiritual life, you are something like a newborn child. And I can remember when my kids were little, you know, there was at one point, you know, in, in the life of a, of a young baby uh, where they discover their hands for the first time. And it's all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, hands, you know, what are these? And there's an excitement and an intrigue and discovery. And 
this is what the early childhood like is like. There's ongoing discovery and there's newness and everything is fresh and inviting. And this is oftentimes how a new Christian feels. You know, everything is new. You know, the Bible is new and church is new and, and sermons are new and there's new teaching and there's new aspects of Christianity. And you're like, this is all so cool and interesting and exciting, you know? And it's all so new. And, and sometimes you run into a new Christian and you can almost feel shamed by comparison because they're so excited about everything. You know, you might be listening to a sermon like the one I'm preaching and think, you know, this is a little boring. I've heard this before. And then you get done with the message and you're out there and you run into a new Christian. They're like, man, did you hear the sermon? That was just, it just blew my mind. And you're like, was I listening to the same sermon? You know, like, what did you hear? You know, and you're checking your spiritual pulse. You're like, am I alive? You know, but oftentimes that's just how it is. And at this stage, there's oftentimes a voracious hunger for the Bible and for Bible study and for church. I can remember when I was a brand new Christian, I would go to church every night of the week. On Monday nights, we were out in Costa Mesa with Greg Glory. On Tuesday nights, we were at a friend's church's youth group. On Wednesday nights, it was my youth group. On Thursday nights, we had a Bible study at my house. On Friday nights, the youth pastor had a Bible study. On Saturday, we were out street with scene. And then on Sunday, we had church. And I was a little lopsided, okay? And maybe a little overzealous, but this is a new Christian. And he says, I'm writing to you spiritual children. And he highlights two things that are brand new that often cause great joy. And the first is the newness of the burden of sin lifted. He says, I write to you children because your sins are forgiven. And then he speaks of the newness of being adopted as a child of God. God is no longer a distant deity, but he is now your heavenly father. And there is new joy and there is life because of that. And so this is the first stage he addresses. Now, the, the, the danger in this first stage of spiritual childhood are two at least. I mean, there's many dangers, but one is you are not yet stable and mature in your faith. And so Paul is going to say in his letter to the church in Ephesus that children can be easily blown about by every wind of doctrine, by every cunning and deceit, by every social media post and by every news commentator and podcast and talking head. You know, you can kind of be blown about and easily taken in. And so the need at this stage is to grow deeper in your faith. And another danger is not just instability, but it is spiritual pride. I can remember as a new Christian, although I was very zealous, I was committed, I was also fairly proud. And I can remember, uh, I started teaching the Bible when I was 18 or 19 years old. And honestly, I probably didn't have any real um, authority to do that. I mean, the youth pastor said I could, but... Um, <laughs> He probably made a mistake. And I, I remember I failed uh, biology in high school and I can remember as a 19-year-old standing up in front of my youth group and speaking definitively about all scientists and evolutionary biologists and, and how, you know, all of the evidence shows that the earth is only 10,000 years old and, and, you know, and they're just lying and deceiving us and I didn't know what I was talking about at all, did I, Hugh? Um, and... Uh, but there was a spiritual pride and arrogance. And so in this stage, if you're a spiritual child, what you need is to cultivate humility. 
In fact, uh, there, there's two words used to describe the children in this text. One is the Greek word technon. Uh, the other is the Greek word paideia. And technon uh, and paideia can be used interchangeably. They both refer to children, uh, but there's a slight nuance. The word paideia refers to a child who is under the tutelage of a master teacher. And at this stage in your life, what you need is the tutelage of somebody who has walked with Christ before you, who has put into practice in their own life the practice of love and of patience and of kindness and of prayer. And these are people that are generous and giving and hospitable. And you learn from them how to follow Jesus well. And so at this stage in your life, you need to learn spiritual humility and to find some spiritual mentors and teachers in your life. Do you have those? You know, I, I'm looking out, there's some of you who are young in age. Now, of course, age does not always correspond to spiritual categories, do they? Uh, you can be very old in your age and still be yet a child in the faith. Uh, sometimes you can be quite young in, in years, but you can be wise in Christ well beyond your years. But very often when you're younger, you do need to get some older people in your life who can speak into your life. Do you have them? Who are they? Are you seeking to learn? So number one, he speaks of the stage at the very beginning, the stage of spiritual childhood. And what's interesting for John is that he doesn't move from, in, in a sequential fashion, in our text. He doesn't move from childhood to young adults, then to uh, parents. Instead, what he does is he moves from childhood and he takes that as sequence and he moves to parents and then he moves to young adults. And then what's also interesting is after he goes through that cycle once, he circles back around and he does it all over again. And I think what he's doing by taking it out of order and by doing it in a cyclical fashion, perhaps this poetry is intended to communicate to us some meaning about some realities in our own spiritual journey. Namely, sometimes it doesn't always go in a linear fashion, does it? I had a, uh, a mentor when I was in seminary, Don Sanuki, and he's preached here. Uh, he once preached a sermon entitled, The Shortest Distance Between Two Dots is a Zigzag. And I think what he means is that sometimes life is like that, isn't it? We don't always go on linear journeys. Oftentimes, a spiritual life has some ups and downs. And sometimes it's cyclical. You know, have you ever played the game of Monopoly, <laughs> you know? And sometimes the spiritual life is like that. You go around and around the board of life, collecting sometimes uh, some good spiritual disciplines and habits and practices. And then uh, sometimes you, 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 go, you have to go around again. And sometimes you take some steps forward and some steps back. You lose some property. You lose some money, right, Ed? Uh, Ed's a... He's got a master's in economics. He loves that stuff about property and real estate and finance. But... Monopoly. And sometimes you get stuck in jail, don't you, in the spiritual life? And it seems like you have arrested development. And this is just how it goes sometimes. And so John doesn't go in sequential fashion. Instead, he moves from the beginning and he goes all the way to the very end and the very telos of the Christian life. And he moves from spiritual childhood to uh, spiritual fathers and mothers, the ending stage. And listen to how he puts it. He says, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And then he repeats himself. 
in verse 14, he says, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Isn't it interesting that when he gets to this state of spiritual parents, the fathers and mothers of the faith, that when he addresses them, he speaks the same word over them twice. He's repetitive. He says, here's your quality. He says, you know him who is from the beginning. But what a phrase to describe a stage of life. I mean, that phrase, you have known him who is from the beginning, it is dripping with wisdom and experience, isn't it? And so he's describing these kind of two places in the spiritual journey, the beginning, spiritual childhood, and the end, spiritual mothers and fathers. And it's interesting because in both stages, both in the beginning and the end, he describes in each stage knowledge of God. You know, spiritual children, he says, you have known the Father. And then the spiritual parents and adults, he says, you have known him who is from the beginning. You have known him who is from the beginning. And so in both stages, there's knowledge of God because at the heart of the Christian life is a relationship with God. You know, Christianity is not first and foremost about getting a new ethical system. It is about that. You do get new ethics. It's not primarily about getting new knowledge and arguments and a worldview. It involves all of that. But most fundamentally, Christianity is an invitation to deep and personal knowledge and relationship with God. But notice in these two stages, the knowledge is different. In the beginning, it's a rudimentary knowledge, like the children knows a father and mother. You know, oftentimes when you're little, you're three, four, five years old, you know your parents in one dimension, right? And then you get in your young adulthood years, and all of a sudden, you know them in a different dimension. You know, in the very early years, you knew them in a very accepting dimension, but when you get in your young adulthood years, you put them under a microscope, and you critically evaluate them, some of you young adults are there right now. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. No, that, that, it's important actually to actually critically think about your own upbringing and your family and your parents and the system and what you, and because you're trying to figure out who you are and what you want to continue and what you want to abandon. And, and you know your parents differently. And then when you get older and you have kids of your own, you know your parents differently. Still, you're like, oh my gosh, what did I put my parents through? And all of a sudden, there's a sympathetic knowing of your parents. And you know them differently as you experience life differently. And so too in the spiritual life, your knowledge of God at the end of life is very different than your knowledge of God at the beginning of the spiritual life. It's a deeper knowing. It's a knowing that is developed in the fire and in the trial of real life. Amen? You know, I, I remember coming across this paradigm of the Christian life from a scholar named Walter Brueggemann in his brilliant little book on the Psalms. And he says that there are three types of Psalms. There are Psalms of orientation, which are Psalms that express a naive, optimistic faith, you know, in, this, in these Psalms, you know, uh, God is always good. The life of faith always works. You know, we're happy all the day. And then he says there's a second catalog of songs. There's songs of uh, disorientation where the psalmist is dealing with life when the bottom falls out. And he's like, where are you? 
What's happening? How long are the wicked gonna prosper while I suffer? What's going on, God? And there are these psalms of disorientation. And then there's psalms of new orientation where God takes you out of the valley and puts you into a new place. And he says, you can look at the Psalms like that and he says, you can look at your own spiritual journey like that. You can begin faith in a naive, optimistic place of orientation and then you go through a period of disorientation, but then you move to a place of new orientation. And when you're in that stage of new orientation, your faith is not the same as it was before. You cannot unsee the hardship and the pain and the doubts that you have seen. But you, are not, you can't go back to where you were, but where you're at is at a deeper and a more profound level of faith. And this is what John is describing. You have known him who is from the beginning. You know, the, uh, uh, one of my favorite theologians, his name is David Bentley Hart, but, but he says this. He says that wisdom is the recovery of innocence at the long end of experience. Wisdom, spiritual wisdom, is the recovery of innocence. It is uh, what the French philosopher Paul Ricoeur called uh, the second naivety. Like it's the recovery of innocence, a trust in God and his goodness in spite of all of the darkness around you. You still believe. And here you are. And in this place, the key mark of this stage is a trusting acceptance and a surrender to God. You are done fighting. You're not perfect, but you've reached a new level of acceptance. You're no longer out trying to prove yourself and to put a false self before others. You are comfortable in your own skin because you know you're loved by God and you trust and you release yourself to God. You know, in his uh, autobiography, the Greek author Nikos Kazantzakis, how did I do, Luther? Luther, Nikos Kazantzakis, it's all right, yeah, um, my Greek brother, but, uh, but uh, this gentleman is, uh, he's a writer on the spiritual life and a deep uh, thinker, a Greek Orthodox Christian, but he shared about a conversation he once had with an old monk named Father Makarios. Sitting with the old saintly man, he asked, Father Makarios, do you still wrestle with the devil? The old monk reflected for a while and then replied, not any longer, my child. I have grown old and the devil has grown old with me. He doesn't have the strength. Now I wrestle with God. With God, Cousin Stockies replied, and you hope to win? The old man replied, no, my child, I hope to lose. My bones remain with me still and they continue to resist. But do you hear that? You've been fighting all of your life and, and yet you've reached a new place of resolve to surrender your life to God. I will trust God, I belong to you, God, and I rest in your love. You know, those words about Father Macarius reminded me of a Facebook post I just read a couple weeks ago that was posted from one of my old mentors from when I was in high school. His name is Robert Rangel, and uh, over uh, in, the, in the late fall, he, he contracted COVID, and it got really bad for him. And he was put in the hospital for weeks, and he was eventually 
sent home on, um, uh, uh, what's the care you receive? Hospice care. And his daughter sent out uh, a note to all of his friends and said, you know, it looks like my dad is entering into his final days with us. And he invited, she invited everyone to uh, all write letters to him. And then against all hope, against all odds, uh, he had a turnaround. And God brought him back, as it were, and healed him. And he wrote a a note on Facebook after he had recovered, and he said this. Speaking of his own journey, he said, at some point, as I was sick, as I was facing death, I began to experience a profound change in my usual approach of wanting to be in control. It was slow, but perceptible. My prayers changed from God, I need a big miracle, to God, whatever you want for me is good enough. And he says, if you know me, you know that giving up control is not an easy thing. Anybody in the house relate to that? He said, 37 years in law enforcement definitely embeds a control everything outlook in you. But then he said after this, this conversation with a pastor about giving up control, he said, I was pretty much resolved to do just that. And then he closed out with this. He said, until we let go, God cannot do the work he desires. But he's describing this place of spiritual surrender and of deep and of profound and of real knowledge of God. And he's holding this out for us not as the typical experience of Christianity. You know, sometimes it's easy to walk into church and feel discouraged because it seems like you should have a level of experience with God that you quite frankly and honestly just don't have. Your prayers aren't that deep. Uh, your, your singing is not that emotive. You know, your knowledge of scripture is not that profound. All of your meditation doesn't really take you where you want it to go. You find yourself distracted. Anybody, am I alone in this? And you can feel a bit like a spiritual failure. It may not be that you're a spiritual failure, It may just be that you're not yet fully in this place of depth and maturity that God ultimately will take you, but that only comes at the long end of a life of experience, of a long obedience in the same direction, of trust and of dependence and reliance upon God. So he speaks about the the spiritual childhood and then he talks here about spiritual mothers and fathers who reach this place of depth. And, And listen, whether you're a spiritual mother or father or you're a spiritual child, we need you. You know, we need you who are young in the faith, who are excited to remind us of our first love. You know, churches that don't have regularly uh, coming in new Christians and new life quickly become very dead churches. And we need spiritual mothers and fathers because churches that don't have people that have depth of knowledge and experience with God quickly become very shallow churches. And so we need a community that is truly multi-generational in both the physical and spiritual sense of that word. And so he talks here about spiritual childhood and then spiritual mothers and fathers. But then he ends by talking about the messy middle, which is spiritual young adulthood. Now, young adulthood is just a messy time in life, isn't it? Can I get a witness from young adults in the house? 
It can feel like you are unmoored. You know, and maybe you're in that space where you went to college, and at college, it was actually pretty cool. You were just surrounded by friends, you were living in the dorm, and you were told what to do and where to go, and yet you had all this freedom from your home and from your parents. It was wonderful. And then you got out, and you're like, what do I do now? And, and it feels disorienting. And of course, this stage of life can just be disorienting. You know, maybe you were in a deep relationship with a significant other that you thought would go somewhere, but then it falls apart and you are just disoriented. Or maybe you get married and then the marriage falls apart and that's disorienting. Or you're in a career and, and you're going a little bit and it just seems like you plateau and you never quite get to where you wanted to be in your career. Maybe you never even chose the right career path and you just feel like, am I gonna miss out? Am I gonna miss what I'm supposed to do? And, and the life is almost over now. I'm almost 40 now, which truly is when life is almost ended. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm 47. And I feel like I'm just, I'm like, it's like, it's just getting good. I can't wait till I'm 70. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Keeps on getting better. Keeps on right here. I mean, come on. He Ross still hikes to the top of very large mountains, <laughs> right? So it doesn't have to stop. But listen, this messy middle is like that. It can be a disorienting phase. And the reality is, is this is where most of us live. This is the spiritual stage where most of us find ourselves. We're no longer in the beginning where we're fresh, converted, baptized, excited. We're, we're not at that place of deep peace and rest in God and deep surrender and acceptance. We're in this messy middle. And if I could diagram it, it looks kind of like this. Like it, it's that red mark. There's ups and downs and listen to how he describes it in our text. He says, I'm writing to you young men. We could say young men and young women. I'm writing to you young adults because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you young men and women because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You know, in some ways it's beautiful. He describes us in this text stronger and better and truer. He names us better than we would name ourselves. He says, you young adults in the faith, you who are disoriented, who are not where you want to go, but you're not, you're not where you once were, you're kind of in this messy middle. He says, you are overcomers. That's a positive way to describe a state you can be in the spiritual life, isn't it? But what does overcomer imply? It implies that you have been facing battles and obstacles and enemies. And the reality is, is that for the majority of our Christian life, the primal, most normative experience is the experience of battle and of fighting. It was A.W. Tozer who said that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we're fighting constantly. We're fighting against ourself and our own worst impulses. You have your demons and your discouragements. And, and you, you've got 
You've got your addictions and you've got your dysfunctional patterns that you're in. And, and you fight against this stuff all the time. And then there's enemies from without. And there's things we are fighting for. You know, we see people unfairly treated and we want to fight for them and make a difference. And we see, you know, unwed mothers who are on the streets and we want to ensure that they're housed and that they're cared for. And, and we see children in the foster care system and we want to fight to ensure that they get homes. And we want to fight for, for justice and we want to fight for, for people to know the goodness and the love of God in this world. And this middle period can be marked out by battles and fighting. And the danger in this stage the danger in this stage is that we would get stuck or maybe go back. You can find yourself wrestling with new doubts because you feel like you're reading things in the Bible that you know you read them before, but you feel like you never read that stuff before. You're like, who put that in there? You know, and you're like asking new questions. There's violence and there's this stuff and like, what's going on and how do I make of, what do I make of this? And, and, and there's new questions you have about evil and suffering in this world because maybe it came so close to home and you thought it would never happen. Or maybe you thought that things would go a certain way with your marriage or with your kids and it just hasn't gone that way and you thought, I did everything right. What's wrong with you? And you're, you're, you're fighting with your own doubts and your discouragement and your disorientation. And again, the danger is that you get stuck or that you even go back. And so the need in this stage, if you're in this stage, your need is for strength. Notice he says, you have overcome because you are strong and the word of God or the word of the gospel, this good news of God's love and his victory in Christ dwells in you richly. He says you're strong, but listen, how is it that strength develops. You know, has anybody here uh, taken up the challenge to uh, build some muscle in your body? Maybe build a little bit more endurance in your running or your swimming or whatever. And what's the saying? No pain, what? No gain. No pain, no gain. And it's just how human anatomy functions that if you actually want to build strength and muscle, you need pressure and resistance and it's going to require some pain. You know, when I was in Albuquerque, I was a part of a master swim team, and our coach used to say the same thing to us regularly. He would say, the workout doesn't begin until you feel like giving up. Because until you feel like giving up, you've only reached your previous levels of fitness. But when you press beyond, when you're willing to vomit on the side of the pool, he encouraged us with, you know, you can reach new levels of fitness. But listen, you don't grow in strength or endurance if you give up. And that's true in your own physical development and it's true in the spiritual life. It's true in your development as a human being. Like you have got to embrace and endure the hardship. You can't let go. You have to keep leaning in. You have to keep pressing in. You've got to keep holding on. You have to keep trusting. And the promise is, is that as we are moving in and leaning in and not letting go, we develop more and more strength. 
And you actually find yourself developing more and more victories in your life. You know, and you find yourself overcoming things. And you're like, I'm not wrestling with the same addictions I was wrestling with five years ago. You know, I'm not having the same bouts with depression and anxiety that I had 10 years ago. I have actually grown and I've moved forward. And this is indeed the promise and the hope of the Christian life. You can change. You can grow. You can mature. Do you believe that? You know, this is not simply a matter of crossing a line and holding on until we die. The Christian life is about moving from immaturity to greater levels of maturity, from slavery, to, from slavery to greater levels of freedom. But it doesn't happen overnight. You don't take a Bible pill. You don't, you know, show up at church and like, it, thank you, look at that. They, they, they like the front row sitters. They like the Bible pill thing, yeah. It happens only when we hold on and we trust and we lean in. But listen, here's the good news of this passage. Not everything depends upon you. You know, when he says that we are overcomers, it's not because he looks out at the church and he's like, man, look at all these guys. They have what it takes, you know? It's not as if, you know, if John were standing here, he'd look out at us and he'd be like, man, look at Wisdom. Look at Tay. You know, look at Kara. You know, look at Mary. Look at, look, look at Tim back there. Like, man, this group, you guys are spiritual giants and you, have, you are overcomers, you know, and try to build you up, you know. He would look at them like he looks at us and say, you guys are a mess. But God loves us and he's for us and he's not against us. And yeah, we've got issues. But God is at work in our lives and we are overcomers through Christ. God in Christ has acted in the world definitively and finally and eternally to defeat the power of sin and death and darkness and everything that wrecks our lives, Christ has defeated. Christ is the overcomer. And so as we lean into him and we rest in him and we entrust our life to him and to his way of life and his wise way of being in this world and we apprentice ourselves to him, we begin more and more to have this experience of living into his victory and moving towards a greater and greater knowledge and experience of God. And may that be your story and my story. May we be a community of followers of Jesus who lean in and grow deeper, who lock arms together and continually say, like, we are going to be a growing church. We're gonna be a maturing church. We're gonna be a church that doesn't settle for simple mediocrity and the toxicity that exists in our culture and all the polarization and all of the meanness that's out there, but we will grow into being a community of love. We will grow into being people of character who begin to know through God the peace and the love that is available to us and rest in that and begin to model that and be conduits of that into this world. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now and we confess that we need you at work in our lives. And we thank you, God, today that you are a God who has not left us alone,
but you have poured out your spirit on your church. You have acted in human history in the death and resurrection of Jesus and you will come again one day in Christ to make all things new. And we pray, God, that as we stand in between what you have done and what you will do, that you would mold and shape us into being a community of character, a community of love, and a community of rich and deep knowledge of who you are and what you're about in this world. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.